Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Teen. Acts chapter 16. And we'll read for our text here this morning, starting in verse uh, 22, and we will read down through verse 34. Acts 16, starting in verse 22. The Bible says, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors opened, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul, call, but, but Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. The title of the message this morning is the phrase that's found there in verse 29. Then he called for a light. Then he called for a light. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning and we thank you for uh, just your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings, Lord. We thank you for this church and for your word and for the opportunity to gather and to, to hear your word preached and taught and proclaimed. Lord, I thank you that we have the opportunity to read and to study your word. I thank you that we have the opportunity to print and publish your word. Lord, it's all about you our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And Lord, we're so thankful this morning for these things. Pray that you bless the message this morning. Bless your word as it goes forth, Lord, and uh, speak to us through your word here today. Lord, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. We thank you for all that you do. Again, we love you, and we ask your blessing upon our time together here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Several things you see throughout the Bible, you could say that, uh, that they, they are themes that you see all throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. One of those would be the theme of the kingdom, the, the king and the kingdom. We see all the way back in Genesis, prophecy and, and the nation of Israel established and the Messiah promised. And we see how sin enters into the picture there in the garden and all of those things that take place. And some have said that really the, the Bible is a record of, of, of history and it's a record of, of who has the right, whose authority is it to sit on the throne and to rule and to reign. 
Obviously, we know that God is on the throne, but the Bible tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is the God of this world. But there is a coming, there's coming a day where he will be cast into first the bottomless pit and ultimately into the lake of fire. And the Lord Jesus Christ will rule first physically on the throne of David in Jerusalem, but ultimately he'll be on his throne forever and ever. And so we see that throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, we have this theme of, of a king and a kingdom and the question of authority, who is ruling and reigning. Uh, another theme we see throughout Scripture is the theme of redemption. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, we see the theme of redemption. The prophecy in Genesis 3.15, the promise of the Messiah. The picture seen when Abraham takes his son Isaac up onto the mount to sacrifice him. Uh, the picture that's seen there in Exodus chapter 12 with the Passover lamb and what that represents. All throughout scripture, all the way up through the Old Testament, the prophets, they all prophesied about the coming Messiah that would bring salvation. You get to the Gospels and you see the record of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we celebrate during this month. We see his earthly ministry. We see his death, burial, resurrection there in the gospel accounts, the, the crucifixion of our Savior. We see in the book of Acts the, the church moving forward and, and the ministry of the apostles and specifically, ultimately, the apostle Paul as he goes and preaches the gospel. You see the, the letters that Paul writes to churches, to pastors, even to an individual there in the book of Philemon. And then ultimately everything culminating there in the book of Revelation uh, where Christ returns. And again, as we said, establishes his kingdom. The book of Revelation opens with a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And John says, who has washed us in his blood. Again, the theme of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. Another theme that you see throughout scripture and what we're going to look at today is this, light, light, the theme of light, if you will. The Bible opens with a declaration concerning light. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to look at a lot of different verses here quickly to kind of set the introduction for this before we get back to Acts 16. But you know these verses well, I'm sure. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And in verse 3 it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. The very first thing that happens there in the creation account in verse 3 is God says, Let there be light. And God sees the light. He sees that it's good. He divides the light and the darkness. He calls the light day. And uh, the Bible records that for us. In the very opening verses of the Bible, we see light. And it's an interesting comparison when you go to the very last chapter of the Bible. From the very first chapter to the very last chapter, Revelation 22. This is after the culmination of all things, the, the second coming of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom, and then ultimately the final revolt of Satan, and he deceives the nations, and, and the great white throne judgment takes place, and the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. The very last chapter of the Bible, chapter 22, verse 3 says, There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. You notice how the Bible opens in the very first chapter with light, 
being spoken forth. And the Bible ends in the very last chapter with those redeemed, those who have accepted Christ, those who are entering eternity to live in his presence forever, are given his light and live in his light forever and ever and ever. So you see this throughout the scripture. Why is light such a prominent theme in the Bible? Well, there are several reasons. Number one, because God is light. God is light. 1 John 1, 5, the Bible says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It's interesting that God is light, yet God also gives light. We saw that in Genesis chapter 1. We saw that in Revelation 22. God is light. Secondly, Jesus Christ is light. Of course, Jesus Christ is God, so it comes as no surprise that he is also light. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, interestingly enough, opens the exact same way that Genesis chapter 1 opens with the exact same three words. In the beginning was the Word. Notice Word is capitalized. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. Of course, we know based on this and, and compare verse 14, the Word was made flesh, dwelt among us. We know that the Word is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, In Him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Jesus Christ is the light. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And for sake of time, we're not going to look at these next few references, but it is interesting that when you compare some scripture, uh, you'll see that when Jesus Christ appears in all of his glory, he appears as light. You can jot these references down. You can maybe look these up on your own and see these things. But Matthew 17, verses 1 and 2, that's the account where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the mount, and he's transfigured before them. And what does the Bible say? That his raiment was white, that his face shines as the sun. You know what they saw on the mount? They saw Jesus in his glorified state. They saw Jesus as he will appear when he returns as his second coming. They see him as light. Acts 9, verses 1 through 5. Paul is on the road to Damascus. Of course, he's still Saul then. He's heading to Damascus to persecute the church, to haul him to jail. And what happens? What does he see on that road? Or rather, who does he see on that road? He sees the Lord Jesus Christ, but he sees Christ as a light brighter than the sun. Revelation 1, verses 12 through 16, when John is on the Isle of Patmos, and he hears a voice, and he hears the sound as a trumpet, and he turns, and he sees the glorified Lord Jesus Christ there standing, and he sees, and, 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 and Revelation 1 gives a description of the Lord. Uh, and, and again, his face shines as the countenance of the, his countenance is as the sun in his strength. All of these men, Peter, James, and John on the mount, John on the Isle of Patmos, Saul or Paul on the road to Damascus, when they see the Lord Jesus Christ in his glorified state, they all give testimony that he shone as the brightness of the sun, even above the brightness of the sun. Have you ever gone outside uh, on, a, on a hot summer day around noon and just tried to stare at the sun? I mean, you can't really do it, right? It's just, it's too bright. You realize that when you look at Jesus Christ in his glorified state, 
no filter. He's brighter than the sun itself. A, a sinful man cannot physically gaze on him. Every time someone sees the glorified Christ, what happens? They fall to the earth. Their eyes go, because they just, they cannot. The only way we're ever going to be able to look at someone so bright and gaze upon someone so bright is when our bodies have been transformed, as Paul talks about. Jesus Christ, again, the same thing is true. God is light. God gives light. Jesus Christ is light. I am the light of the world. But Jesus Christ also gives light to the world that's lost in darkness. But not just God, not just Christ, but God's word is light. The word of God is light. Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word is a lamp. God's word is a light. Psalm 119, verse 130, The entrance of thy words giveth light. So just like God, just like Jesus Christ, God's word is light. God's word also gives light. Number four, we are to shine as lights. We shine as lights. It's interesting that when you study the I am statements of Jesus in the book of John, you'll find seven that he makes. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. And there's seven in total. And six of those seven are statements that he makes exclusively of himself. He never says, ye are the resurrection and the life. He never says, ye are the door. He never says, ye are the the uh, uh, way, the truth, and the life. But it's interesting that he says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, to those who have gathered the multitudes, uh, as he gives what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he says in Matthew 5, 14, ye are the light of the world. Isn't that interesting? I am the light of the world, Jesus says. But he also says, ye are the light of the world. Paul says something similar in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, 15 and 16. Paul writes that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain among whom ye shine as lights in the world. We are to shine as lights. How does that work? Well, the Lord, back all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, he's given us a wonderful picture, a wonderful illustration in the physical world that shows that. He created two great lights, the sun and the moon. The sun generates its own light, but the moon doesn't generate its own light. What does the moon do? It simply reflects the light of the sun, right? And that's how it works. That's why Jesus can say, to mere men, ye are the light of the world. They're not generating their own light, but what are they doing? They're reflecting his light. That's what Paul's talking about. The true light is the Lord Jesus Christ. But the disciples, his disciples, you and I today as believers, we don't generate light, but we reflect his light to those that are in darkness. So again, we see this theme of light Throughout the Bible, we see that God is light. We see that Jesus Christ is light. We see that God's word is light. All three of those things are light and give light. And then we, as believers, just like Paul writes about into the church there at Philippi, are to shine as lights. 
to a lost and dying world. Before we go back to Acts 16, I just want to look at a couple more passages. Acts 26, Paul, just to further expound on shining as lights. Paul, as he comes before King Agrippa, Acts 26, verse 12, he says, Whereupon as I, was in Dama- or as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the, in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of the, these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and notice this, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So Paul says, I was on the road to Damascus. The Lord Jesus Christ appeared to me and he gave me a ministry. He gave me a commission and that was to go to the Gentiles and to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, to preach the gospel. He talks about that again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry in verse 1. What ministry? Well, the ministry he was given by the Lord to preach the gospel, to turn them from darkness to light, to open their eyes. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commanding ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, (coughs) excuse me, which believe not. Notice this, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. By the way, notice that the gospel is also a light. The light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Basically, Paul's saying, look, it's not about us, it's about him. And we are shining forth his light. We are just earthen vessels, but we're shining forth the light of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who are in darkness. What is the gospel? Very simply, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried the third day and rose again according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's what he's preaching. Now, with all that being said, by way of introduction, the introduction is is actually longer than the actual message. Okay, so don't get nervous. (laughs) Go back to Acts chapter 16. And I just want to point out several things here from the text that we, that we started in. Paul and Silas, they've been thrown into prison. 
And I want you to notice, first of all, a couple things. Notice in verse 25, the Bible says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. So the first thing is, notice that it is midnight, which means it's dark outside, right? It's usually pretty dark at midnight. It's dark outside. That pictures something. That pictures, when I say it's dark outside, we live in a dark world. It's dark out there. And it's getting darker. It's going to get darker. It's going to get the darkest it's ever been, actually, after we are gone. Think about it. The rapture takes place. The Bible makes it very clear that the tribulation period is the darkest period in all of human history. And think about it. We shine as lights. We shine his light. We reflect his light to the world. You know, you have the sun in the sky. You have the moon in the sky. And when the moon is out and the moon is full, you know, it gives off some light. But have you ever been outside when there is no sun and it's nighttime and there's also no moon? Boy, it's dark. It's dark out there. The world is a very dark place. But I want you to also notice in verse 24, it says, Who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison. So they go into the prison, but they ultimately go into the inner prison, which is a prison within the prison. Picture it kind of like as an inner cell, if you will, that has no windows. They're placed into this inner prison. And once the jailer puts them in there, chains them up, whatever, and closes that door and walks away with the torch or the lantern or whatever he has, you know what it is inside? It's dark. It's not just dark out there. It's dark on the inside. You know what that pictures? That pictures the heart of every lost man, woman, boy, and girl on this earth. It's not just dark out there, out in the world, but it's dark on the inside. The Bible calls it spiritual blindness, spiritual darkness. Men lost in darkness. Yes, it's dark out there, but for an unbeliever, it's also dark on the inside. The earthquake happens, the doors fly open, the jailer's about to take his own life because he's responsible for the prisoners, and he assumes that they've all escaped. Of course, Paul calls out, cries out, do thyself no harm, we are all here. And then verse 29, then he called for a light. Now, I realize that what he's actually calling for is a torch or a lantern, something by which to see to go in there and ultimately to bring these guys out. But you know what else he's doing? He's calling for a light spiritually, not just physically. How do we know that? Well, look what his first question is. Verse 30, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Notice his first question is not, why are you all still here? Why didn't you run away when the doors came open? He, didn't, he doesn't ask, what in the world is going on? The very first thing he asks is, what must I do to be saved? You know what he's doing when he's asking, what must I do to be saved? He's calling for a light. A physical light, a torch or something to go in so he can see, but spiritual light because he recognizes he's lost in darkness. Verse 32, <clears throat> what do they do? They give him light. They spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. I, I should have read verse 31 first. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. What did they do? They gave him the gospel. They gave him the light of the gospel. 
They told this man that Christ died for his sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he did that for this guy. And, and they preached this gospel to this man, to those that were in his house. They all heard the gospel. They all received Christ. They all responded. They were all baptized, those that were in his house as well. He called for a light, and that day he received a light. But he didn't just get a physical light to go into the inner prison. He received spiritual light as well. This man passed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son, the kingdom of light. He accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, as did his house. How did these men, Paul and Silas, how did they shine forth as lights? And likewise, how do we shine forth as lights? And I wrote down four things here, and with this we'll close. Number one, they were faithful. If you ever study the life of Paul, one of the things that really jumps out at you is his faithfulness in ministry. It's an interesting contrast when you study the lives of the disciples in the Gospels. Boy, they wavered quite a bit, right? How many times did Jesus say to his disciples, to Peter, James, John, Andrew, and, and those even those close to him in that inner circle of 12, how many times does he say to those guys, O ye of little faith? They had some things to learn. And ultimately, they learned those things, and ultimately, they went forth, and they preached the gospel as well. But when you study the life of Paul, what you find with Paul is he was faithful. Read through 2 Timothy, which chronologically would be the last epistle that he wrote. He knows that he's ready to be offered up, that, that his ministry is over, his life is at its end. He knows that he's on that doorstep, if you will. Uh, to where he'll step into eternity, and, uh, and, and he remarks how he's finished his course. He's run his race, and he was faithful to the end. They were faithful, and they shone forth as lights in that way. Secondly, they rejoiced in the midst of trials. They're there in that inner prison where it's dark, it's cold, it's probably damp, it's probably dirty, very uncomfortable. And remember, they had just been beaten. And if you know anything about a Roman scourging, it was not a pleasant experience. These guys probably ought to, should have been in a hospital, not some dirty Roman prison cell. And yet they were beaten, they were thrown into the center prison, fastened into the stocks. And yet what are they doing at midnight? They're singing and they're praising. Even in the midst of a horrible, terrible, painful trial, they're rejoicing. You know how we can shine forth as lights? When we rejoice in the midst of trials. When we can still have a spirit of rejoicing, a spirit of praise, of thankfulness, even when we're going through difficult things. It's interesting. The Bible says that they sang, they praised, and the prisoners heard them. It was not just quietly praising the Lord in their heart. They were doing it in such a way that others heard. What a testimony that would have been. They rejoiced in the midst of trials. Number three, they were unselfish. They were not thinking about themselves. Now, if you read on in chapter 16, you'll see that Paul does bring up this issue of, hey, uh, we've, we've been unjustly beaten. 
And as a Roman citizen, he had certain rights. But I just think it's interesting that the first thing that he says when, uh, when, when this man is about ready to kill himself, this jailer, because he thinks the prisoners have escaped, the first thing that Paul, he doesn't lead with, I want to see my lawyer. He's not concerned first and foremost with his rights. Hey, I'm a Roman citizen. What has been done to me and, and my partner here, Silas, is not right and you notice that he wasn't concerned foremost about himself. Now, there was a time later when that did get addressed. I just think it's interesting that that's not what he led with. Do thyself no harm. We are all here. That's the first thing he says. In other words, if you want to relock the doors, I suppose, go ahead. Paul knew that God was in control. Paul knew that the Lord was working. <clears throat> And I don't think it's coincidence that Paul, uh, he doesn't make a stand for his rights. He's not thinking about himself, but rather his gracious call out. We're all here. We haven't run off. <coughs> then leads to this man asking that pivotal question, what must I do to be saved? And now there's an open door for which Paul and Silas can take this man the gospel and witness to him and to his house, and these folks are saved. Why? Because Paul was more concerned about this jailer's soul than he was about his own rights. You know how we can shine forth as lights when we're more concerned about others than we are of ourselves? When we're more concerned about the souls of the lost than our own rights. And again, read the rest of the chapter. That doesn't mean that we don't have rights and that there's not a time and a place to say, hey, look, I just think, again, I've said this a couple of times, I just think it's interesting. Paul, that's not what he led with. Hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You had no right to throw me in prison. You had no right to scourge me. And so they were unselfish. They were faithful. They rejoiced in the midst of trials. They were unselfish. But fourth, finally, and, and probably most important, how did they shine forth as lights? They simply shared the gospel when they had an opportunity to do so. In this case, don't you wish every opportunity was someone coming up and saying, what must I do to be saved? It doesn't always work quite like that. However, do we shine forth as lights by looking for opportunities to share the gospel? I see what Paul and Silas did here with this man and with his house. And I, just, I think back to the, the verses we already read in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 15, that ye may be, and I put Paul and Silas as, as almost as if he's writing about himself as well. Ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. That was certainly Paul and Silas. They had done nothing wrong, nothing worthy of being beaten or imprisoned. They were just simply preaching the gospel. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And again, you study the Roman Empire from a secular viewpoint in history and and the corruption and the things that the Apostle Paul saw in his day, in some ways very similar to what we see in our day. And yet, <clears throat> in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, they were shining as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. You know what we do? We, we are to shine as lights in the world. We are to hold forth the word of life. That's why you see these 17 boxes up here full of Spanish John and Romans. These are lights. The Word of God is light. The Word of God gives light. And when these scriptures get sent to Mexico 
and then missionaries and pastors take them and place them in the hands of people that have never had an opportunity to respond to the gospel. They're being handed light that if they will respond to it, they can be just as gloriously saved as this Philippian jailer almost 2,000 years ago. As he responded to the light that he was given, so can people in Mexico, so can people in the Yucatan, so can people in Poland and Bulgaria and all over the world will have an opportunity to respond to the light, the light of the gospel, the light of the word of God. And we are to shine forth as lights. It's the, it's the job that he's given us to do. And uh, may we take advantage of the opportunities that we have, not just to provide the light in the sense of producing scriptures to send out, but even our own lives, our own testimonies, the way we interact with those around us, the way that we respond to trials and heartaches that come into our lives, the opportunities that we have to share the gospel. Do we take advantage of those opportunities as the Lord gives them to us? We are to shine forth as lights. And we're going to dwell in his presence for all of eternity, dwelling in his light forever and ever. And so knowing that that is still future, let's take advantage of our time now to shine as lights to those who are still trapped in darkness. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. I pray that you would bless the remainder of our time, the invitation, the dedication of the scriptures. And Lord, uh, again, thank you. Thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.